Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We are your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And uh, we are still drinking the same coffees as last episode, because as I mentioned, then we're recording three episodes today. So we went to Old Louisville Coffee Co-op, employee owned, wonderful space. I still have the secret agent, which is two shots of espresso poured over lavender soda. It's so good. And I've got a drink called the Savannah. It is an almond and hazelnut chai latte with oat milk served iced. It's really freaking good. And uh, also, yeah, if you're in Louisville, check out that place because the vibes are immaculate. Not just that. It is the only coffee shop here in town that on the weekends at least has, I think they're open till like 2 a.m. No, they're open 24 hours. You're right. Right now they're not because I think they're a little short staffed, Mm -hmm. but they were saying after this weekend they're going to be back to their regular. And they've got, they're open till I think 11 p.m. on weekdays. Yeah, they're closed Mondays. So it's one of the few non-alcoholic spaces options that you can go and hang out, which I think is just great. Um, And that wasn't sarcastic, even though I just realized it came across that way. That's fine. We're fine. Um, So Corinne, what is our tarot card? And did you say you're our father? No. <laughs> no. It's just spicy psychology, Amanda. Um, mm. I pulled from Murder of Crows Tarot, which I only got because Amanda mentioned how much she loved her deck. Uh, unbeknownst to me, while it is a very gentle and loving deck with Amanda, I get my ass dragged every time I pull from it. However, we got a pretty cool card today. I pulled the Knight of Wands. Uh, so it's all about throwing con- uh, words. Throwing words. (laughs) Throwing caution to the wind. Uh, I really love this bit of the the description is, their joy is in discovery and their desire is for experience, even those that bring tears and terror. And that sure is what this show is about, isn't it? It is, but I also think that card is telling us both to calm the fuck down a little bit about our new jobs and we're going to be okay. That sounds fake. (laughs) That sounds fake. Just saying. Valid, but fake. All right. So this is the first of our two episodes in October. Yeah. We're not recording it in October, though. And guys, it's hot outside. It's so hot. We live in Louisville. It's going to be hot outside in October, except for the one day it snows. (laughs) You're not wrong. (sighs) So what's our topic? What's our topic? What are we talking about? So we are doing another two-parter. Yeah. Yeah. both of our episodes for this month are going to be covering urban legends. This I'm, is so great. I'm so excited. Did you read like the urban legend books from the library all the time as a kid or was that oh, just yeah. me? Oh yeah. And some of them would have like really creepy drawings in them. Oh, well see, by the time I got interested in urban legends, I oh. was 
going to the grown-up section of the library. I think you are actually going to be very familiar with something I talk about at the beginning of my notes. Ooh! Okay, okay, okay. Uh, no, I'm thinking about, like, the kids' books that would bring up actually one of the urban legends that I'm covering this week. Uh, and I just, I remember the drawing and I'll describe it when I get to this point because it's, like, burned into my mind. I love horror. I can read gore. I can read really viscerally upsetting things. And for whatever reason, this bit of art that was not in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Okay, because that was, was my a, first assumption. A different book has stuck with me, this black and white drawing. Maybe it was in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Who knows? I don't remember. I, but it, oh, ugh, it's, yeah. it's right there. Um, so... All right, let's do this. Moving on. Getting straight into it. So first off, we need to define what an urban legend is. Okay. Per Wikipedia, an urban legend is, quote, a genre of folklore comprising stories or fallacious claims circulated as true, especially as happening to a friend of a friend or a family member. Okay. End quote. Uh, They will often lean towards the scarier side of things and will usually have some sort of cautionary element or moral lesson. Okay. Like quite a bit of folklore, urban legends originally circulated via oral oral storytelling. Mm -hmm. Uh, The sort of, I heard from my friend who heard from her brother who heard from his friend. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Though now it can be spread pretty much through any media. Yeah. The internet is a really common one these days. Yes. And I will get to that a little bit this episode, a lot of it next. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, the phrase urban legend, as used in the folklore sense, first appeared in print in 1968. Okay. With the phrase coming into the pop culture lexicon in 1981, with the first in a series of popular books by English professor Jan Harold Brunvend, the first book of which was The Vanishing Hitchhiker, American Urban Legends and Their Meanings. I am actually going to be talking about that a little bit in this episode, too. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and quick plug. If you all want some Vanishing Hitchhiker stories, which I would argue are the most famous American urban legends, uh, you can go back and listen to episode three, where we that that was our whole yes. episode topic, um, and we covered some really depressing ones. Was that episode three or episode two? I thought Graveyard Ghost was episode two. I can never remember. Well, you guys can go back and listen to both. Yeah, if you want, our backlog is great. Yeah. Trust us. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're adults who know what we're doing. You sound very disingenuous there. No, actually, guys, our early episodes are still really fun. We've they are. We've definitely gotten better at researching, and I've gotten better at editing these episodes. And I've gotten better at not sounding like I have my customer service voice on. Is there anything I can help you guys with? <laughs> but yeah. Sorry. Moving on. Yes. So interestingly, social scientists in the past few decades have started tracking the popularity of various urban legends to explain social beliefs like attitudes toward crime, childcare, nutrition. Okay. Transportation. Okay. And other choices that hit close to home specifically for the more traditional nuclear family homes. Okay. Um, And then I just have to throw this fact in because I love it. The United States Department of Energy now has a division called Hoaxbusters that deals with computer-distributed hoaxes and legends, including the urban legend format of choice for the internet age, the creepypasta. Amazing. Hoaxbusters. 
I am going to be doing so much Googling when we finish this recording session. Your tax dollars go to a division called Hoaxbusters. How can I get a job with them? (laughs) Right? Except I don't actually want to read what's going around on the internet for the most part, because as we kept bringing up last episode, everything is anti-Semitism and a half. Yeah. All right. So now that we've got the history out of the way, I'm going to talk about two urban legends this episode. First up, we have a classic, Mm -hmm. The Killer in the Backseat, which some listeners may also recognize as High Beams. Okay, yes, I do know this one. Mm -hmm. In this legend, a woman is driving alone in her car at night, followed closely by either a pickup truck or a semi-truck. Okay. The mysterious truck driver tailgates the woman super closely all the way to either her house or a gas station, depending on the story, flashing his high beams at irregular intervals. The woman is sure the driver has nefarious intentions. Yeah, I see, if people are tailing me like that, I slow down because I'm that asshole. (laughs) Um, When the woman gets to her destination... She finds out that the driver was tailgating her because he noticed a man with a large knife sneak into the woman's back seat when she wasn't looking. And the driver flashed the high beams whenever the man lifted his knife to stab the woman, which this is spooky. The artwork that I remember is just this black and white drawing of a man in the back seat, like curled up like a gremlin holding a knife. I don't think I read whatever book that is because I feel like that would have left an impact, but it's seared into my memory no i that has i i like i know this story I, when i was refamiliarizing myself with different urban legends for these recording sessions i was like okay yeah i know i know this story but i could not tell you how i know that mm-hmm. it's just you know it lives in the back of my head and i was like oh yeah yeah i've, I've read this before yeah um but i just have to what What's the killer's game plan in this version of the story? You stabbed the driver. Okay, what are you going to do now? You're, the car is still going. Maybe it's on like a straightaway and it's just going to coast to a stop. It's fine. <laughs> I just... As long as... Like, but if a semi is following you, I imagine you're on the interstate. What is your plan? I mean, I... Yeah, no, I... If it's in a truck, though, you're fine. You're just on... Wow, I got real Southern there. <laughs> you did. I thought that was intentional. No! <laughs> it's fu- Everything is okay. I'm not... I'm avoiding eye sounds right now because I don't think I can do them not Southern. <laughs> um, so in another variation, the woman stops for gas. When she goes to pay, the pump flags a problem with her credit card. Okay. She goes in to see what's going on, and the attendant tells her that he or she, the gender of the attendant, changes depending on the telling, um, that the police are on the way because when the woman was busy, the pump, busy, the pump, busy with the pump, the attendant noticed a man sneak into her backseat with a knife. I hate that. That one. That's much more believable, and I hate it. Much more believable and terrifying. Mm-hmm. And a third version that I hadn't actually heard before, but that gave me real goosebumps because I decided to do this portion of my notes when it was really, really dark and everyone else in my house was asleep uh-huh. and I was doing this all by myself. Even the dog was asleep. Like, I I had no one. <laughs> but this has the woman driving when a person, usually a woman runs out crazed with fear and bangs on her car. Oh, absolutely not. 
The woman eventually manages to drive around her, only to encounter the woman again. No matter how fast the woman drives or what direction she goes, this person always shows up, banging on her car, yelling something unintelligible. I hate that. The woman calls the police with her cell phone, who agree to meet her at her home. When she meets them there, the officers find the killer in her car. The killer ends up confessing to a string of murders, and the person who kept banging on the car matches the description of one of the victims. Oh, nope. <laughs> yeah. No. Jesus Christ, Amanda. Yeah. Ah. Hate that one. Ah. Hate it. Uh, so versions of this story have been in circulation since the 1960s. Okay. With a big boost in popularity when it was published in an in a letter in an Ann Landers column <laughs> in 1982. And for those of you who don't know what the Ann Landers column was, like, thank you for making me feel old. Or I Rip. guess for having not grown up in the U.S. and stealing newspapers from your parents. But like, what? whatever. And this one, and I hate this. Maybe loosely based in reality. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. In 1964, an escaped murderer was found hiding in the back seat of a car, having snuck in when the operator, who happened to be a police deputy, wasn't looking. Mm-hmm. But this is an American urban legend, and we are a lawless wasteland. We are. So in real life, the when the uh, police deputy noticed the murderer in the back seat, he shot him dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that playing out. Yeah. Rip. Uh, but again, I hate that that was based in reality, potentially. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like it, Amanda. Yeah. So the other urban legend that I want to, I said very, very briefly, and my notes are almost as long as <laughs> they were for the other one. It's what? fine. Is the Living Pan statue in Cherokee Park here in Louisville, Kentucky. What the fuck? Uh-huh. So for those of you who have never visited Louisville before, Cherokee Park, apart from being named by someone who fetishized Native Americans and named all the parks in the area after peoples who never lived here. Mm-hmm. But the park itself is stunning. It's very beautiful. Also, you will get lost. Yes. It's acres of hiking trails and bike trails. It's in the heart of the city. It's got a paved running path. There's lots of beautiful statues. There's some good playgrounds. And it's terrifying to drive through at There's night. There's also an archery butt, uh, like an archery practice space there. I knew about the one in Iroquois. I didn't know about the one at Cherokee. Yeah, there's one. that's where I first ever tried archery with Kristen Thomas back in the day. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Kristen. We know you listen to us. Um, anyway. Where was I? Cherokee um, Park. Terrifying. Don't, yeah. don't cut also, through there. You will get lost. You will get lost. But, oh my gosh, cutting through just feels so convenient. Like, at, there is something about driving in that area at night where your brain is like, oh, I'll just cut through Cherokee real quick and no. I can get somewhere so much faster. That part of you saying um, that is, is lying. It is. Um, but it's really not a good idea. A, you will get lost. B, there's deer who might jump in front of your car out uh -huh. of nowhere. There's not a lot of light. The roads are really twisty and winding and there's just a general air of creepiness. Uh-huh. Um, so it shouldn't surprise us that one of the weirdest statues in the park has an urban legend attached to it. I have never seen the statue and I have lived in this city my entire life. Per the legend, on full moon nights, the statue of the Greek god Pan at Hogan's Fountain 
That would be why. I don't think I've ever actually been to Hogan's Fountain. Really? Really. I know. I'm a shitty, I'm a shitty little villain. Wow. Um, gets up and walks around. Good for him. And I can't track the origins of this one. Okay. I have no idea when it first showed up in the paranormal pop culture lexicon, but it's all over Ghost Hunter websites when you look up Louisville or Kentucky. Really? And I cannot find any origin for this. A, I did not know this statue existed. B, I have literally never heard this before. I am fascinated. Right? Uh, I did find a fun theory about where the legend may have come from, though. Okay. So the good people over at LouisvilleHalloween.com okay. went to Cherokee Park on a full moon to see for themselves. Okay. At first, they thought – or at first, they couldn't see the statue. Hmm. Though they could see the white base. Interesting. Of the statue. So at first, they were like, oh, God, this is real. Yeah. And – Greek god Pan is just wandering around with his little cloven feet. Good for him. The theory, though, is that the statue itself is dark bordering on black. Okay. So the theory, and there's not a lot of light around Hogan's Fountain. No. So the theory is that in the dark, the statue itself kind of blends in with the darkness and the trees behind it while the white base stands out. So it makes it look like there's nothing on top of it, making it look like the statue's gotten up and walked away. Good for him. Um, But, you know, who's to say? Maybe if you go to Cherokee Park on a full moon and open a bottle of wine, your offering will be deemed worthy of a visit from Pan himself. I'm I'm hearing a future outing for us. You know I can't stay up past when the sun goes down anymore. I mean, I can't either, but you think I wouldn't try? (laughs) I cute, Um, but I dumb. But that is my segment. Awesome. So uh, I am going to take us over to Japan mm-hmm. for the entirety of this episode. And this particular dive into urban legends can be squarely blamed on my husband. Amazing. Hi, Hunter. Completely. So Hunter was playing a video game that is inspired by the works of Junji Ito, horror manga extraordinaire. And he is gleefully telling me about some of the more contemporary yokai being featured in the game. Uh, though he politely did not show me any imagery. That's good, because Junji Ito is a master of body horror. Yeah, he is he is a master of his craft, but my god, even the cute little comics he makes about how much he loves cats are deeply unsettling. Like, have you ever seen pictures of Junji Ito? Because he is adorable, and he likes to wear cat ears. And he's apparently the nicest person you will ever meet. Yeah, he's supposed to be absolutely adorable and sweet and kind, but I cannot. I mean, I wouldn't read horror anyway. But, like, even just, like, frames from his manga, I'm like, no, absolutely not. And I, like, I want to read his cute comics about how much he loves his cat. And I'm like, Mm-mm, no, sir. No, I love it. Can't do it. I've read Shiver, which is a more short story collection. Um, and I've read Uzumaki. Yeah. Nope. Not doing it. So very specifically, when Hunter was playing this game, he started telling me about Kuchisakeona, or the slit-mouthed woman. Oh, I've heard of this one. Yes. So, an associate professor at Kokugakuen University, Ikura Yoshiyuki, considers her to be the first purely Japanese urban legend. Interesting. Now, Kuchisakeana traditionally appears as a very beautiful woman whose mouth has been slit from ear to ear. How she got this way varies from story to story. There are some early variants that some people have connected to Kuchisakeana, um... In that book of yokai that I just ordered that is supposed to be arriving today. Exciting. Um, there 
is an early variant dating back to the Edo period where she, uh, this woman was either the mistress or the wife of a samurai who was caught in the act of adultery and mutilated. Uh, in more contemporary versions of the story, these horrible cuts are caused by, among other things, a freak accident at the dentist. No. Side note, I'm already terrified of going to the dentist. This does not help me. How would that even happen? I, but, like, dentist is one or, like, she goes to the doctor's office for something and this happens. I don't know. I hate it. Um, an- I need her to get better medical care. Uh-huh. Another modern variant says that a jealous rival woman fucked up her face. Which, okay. Yeah. That one, like, <laughs> like, we're like, oh, God, medical horror. Oh, no, that sounds right. That sounds right. That, like, I don't love pitting women against each other, but that at yeah. least doesn't give me a whole new wave of phobias. Right? So now this lady has, um, and I don't know if it's really appropriate to call it a Glasgow smile when the recipient does not live in Scotland. But anyway, she's got the great Glasgow smile going on now. And in death, she becomes an onreal or a malevolent spirit. Mm -hmm. So in the late 1970s, a story started making its rounds in newspapers in Japan about a woman wearing a face mask or a scarf. So face covered from about nose down, approaching children and asking, am I pretty? Why children? It could be anyone, but it started spreading mostly around school children. Uh, And in Japanese, instead of... Am I pretty? It's watashi kirei. I love being able to say that. One of my friends from Japan taught me how to say you are pretty in <laughs> Japanese because she wanted me to give her compliments. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so if the child answers in the affirmative or whomever she's talking to answers in the affirmative, she pulls down the mask and says, and now? And if you react in horror or you say no, she'll kill you. If you lie and say yes, She'll give you your own Glasgow smile. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So, this story was terrifying to the school children of Japan. Well, yeah. Especially because it was very popular amongst middle schoolers who were frequently going to cram schools in the evening and then having to walk home at night by themselves. Babies. Because, you know, like, the high school entrance exam is a big McFucking deal. Right. Uh, to the point... That, like, parent associations started organizing walking students to and from their schools and their cram schools to help assuage these fears. Um, Over time, things calmed down, especially when students started sharing the best ways to thwart kuchisakeona. Um, You can respond with indifference. Just be like, nah, you're kind of average looking. Apparently that works. You have to stay very unfazed. You're in Ohio, 10. Yeah. (laughs) Rip. Uh, or you could throw things to distract her. Uh, popular options include money or hard candy, which I'm just going to say, if you want to distract me, throw money or hard candy. Uh, yeah, I'd at least check it out. Uh, right? I like candy. Uh, so after the initial viral spread of the story, things calmed down, like I said. But Kuchisakeona stayed on in the minds of researchers, especially once the concept of urban legends was introduced in Japan. Specifically. To quote a 2019 article from Nippon.com, the term urban legend came to Japan via 1988 translation of American folklorist Jan Harold Rosenbart's <laughs> 1981 book, The Vanishing Hitchhiker. The up-and-coming Japanese researchers who conducted the translation are said to have wanted to overturn the idea in the academic world that oral literature meant only old tales and legends, and to open up the possibility of investigating the gossip and rumors of the contemporary city. How fucking cool is that? Amazing. 
Man, I go on a little bit of a tangent in my notes for <laughs> next episode about how I forget where I saw it. And if anyone can remember, let me know so that I can look into this some more. But I read somewhere where modern folklorists are looking at what children, specifically elementary and middle school yes. age children. I've read something similar about that. Are talking about to see what the next wave of folklore is in a community Mm -hmm. because it always starts with the kids it does so interestingly kuchisakayana regained her popularity with the spread of the internet these stories started cropping up on forums and made their way into pop culture ranging from appearances in manga and video games world of horror by the way is the game that hunter was playing and he said that you would probably really enjoy it i just i don't have the patience for video games I want narrative spoon-fed to me. <laughs> I understand. I'm the same way. Uh, but Kuchisakayana is also featured in horror films, which I will never watch because Japanese horror scares the ever-loving shit out of me. Thank you, The Ring, where I had my first verified panic attack. <laughs> like, ten minutes in. Oh, my goodness. The Ring, What I decided to watch that movie by myself after renting it from Blockbuster. Whoa. Um <laughs> And our caller ID was broken. And right after she watches the video for the first time, my grandma called me. Nope. I didn't even get that far into the movie. <laughs> I literally, they they did a, a jump scare with that very first corpse. Mm-hmm. I was at Village 8 with a bunch of friends. Oh, no. McFucking panicked. Had to call my dad to come pick me up. And then I didn't sleep for two nights. Corinne. I don't do horror. I know. The fact that we do this podcast is hilarious to literally everyone who knows me. It's true. I made you do it. You did. Uh, But anyway, speaking of pop culture, that's actually how I heard about the other contemporary yokai urban legend that I wanted to share with you today. Uh, I was perusing the manga at Barnes & Noble, like you do, and I noticed a really weird title, uh, Toilet Bound Hanako-kun. And I was like, that's that's a weird title. That is a sentence. Uh, yeah, I immediately put it out of my mind and went and picked up the latest copies of Akatsuki no Yona instead, because I am trash. And I love Akatsuki no Yona. Uh, and then I started, you know, Googling urban legends for this episode. And I stumbled across Hanako-san. Who haunts toilets? But why? Well... Typically, Hanako is a young girl, though there are male variants, hence Hanako-kun. And for people who don't know, kun is an honorific used almost exclusively for young boys. Mm -hmm. You might occasionally hear it for a young girl, but she's typically a very tomboyish girl who uses more masculine sentence formation. There's a whole lesson in Japanese linguistics here, but we don't have time for that. Uh, Anyway, her spirit haunts the school's bathroom. And how she came to be haunting this bathroom varies between tellings, but it is always tragic. Of course it is. So some of the most common variants are that she was so severely bullied that she committed suicide in the school bathroom. Or she was killed by a parent or another adult, typically a stranger if it wasn't a parent, while she was at the school. Or, and this one is also really heartbreaking, she was a student during World War II who was hiding in the bathroom during an air raid. Ugh, that breaks my heart. I know, it's really sad. So after death, she is doomed to haunt the school toilets, where, students have been saying for decades, you can summon her. However, summoning her spirit is risky. You might get pulled to hell via the toilets. Which Great. sounds so icky. Oh my god. Isn't that what 
parents said would happen during the satanic panic? No, that's what the kids were saying was happening. Oh, They were getting flushed down the turlets. Because toddlers have an innate fear of poop leaving their body where they can't feel it because they think that they're losing part of their physical self. Uh, But yeah, so, or if someone else enters the bathroom while you're summoning her, a three-headed lizard will come and scare you off. I don't know where the whole three-headed lizard thing even comes from. It feels very out of left field for me. And other than seeing it mentioned in everything I read about Hanako-san, I don't really know what the deal is. But much like Kuchisakayona, Hanako-san has featured very heavily in contemporary pop culture. In addition to the aforementioned toilet-bound Hanako-kun, the ghostly child has featured in several other manga and anime, including one called Gagaga no Kitaro, which I really need to check out. It's a much older manga. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, the author has been cited in several scholarly works about Japanese yokai that I've read. So I really want to learn more about her body of work. And uh, one last note, as we're kind of closing this section out, I found an Atlas Obscura article, uh, which is linked in the show notes, of course. And Japan has a genuinely astonishing number of yokai and ghosts who haunt bathrooms. Like, it's just, it's shocking. The entire article was just bathroom ghosts of Japan. See, that makes sense to me, and I I have no idea if I'm completely off base saying this because I am talking out my ass, Um, but when you think about how vulnerable you are when you are in the act of using the toilet. Well, so, uh, folklorist Michael Dylan Foster, author of that book of Yokai that is Mm -hmm. arriving today, today I will have it, Uh, he equates this to bathrooms being a liminal space. They connect the normal everyday world to a whole different realm, namely the sewers. Huh. In that sense, to quote him, the bathroom is a place of transition, and the toilet in particular is a portal to a mysterious other world, says Foster. Even though we generally flush things down, it would not seem surprising for something mysterious to come up through the toilet. And that's where I'm going to leave you because, wow, I hate it. hate that. I have no one to blame for this but myself. Yeah. I did this to me. You did. That is, that's what I have. I hate it so fucking much. Yeah, that's not my favorite factoid you've ever told me. It's not my favorite factoid either. (laughs) But you know what? You creep me out on the reg. It is only fair. I love the fact that you just mouthed I would never. Like, I can't fucking read your lips because we're sitting right next to one another. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I hate it so many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you're welcome. Good luck using the toilet tonight. Now I'm curious to see if toilet-based urban legends are a cultural constant. Because you think about the sewer rats. Yeah. Or the python coming up out of your toilet. Yeah. Which can't happen and I hate it. I don't love that. Or, like, toilet spiders. Oh. Oh, my I just clenched my butt so hard. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm curious to know if that's one of those stories that shows up everywhere and what it says about the human psyche. Yeah, like, the concept of the bathroom as a liminal space was such an interesting, like, little light bulb moment for me. Yeah. I was like, I beg your pardon? And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, No, no, he's right. Like, between the vulnerability that you mentioned and the fact that it is very much a transitional place. I hate it. 
wild. I hate it so very much, but I'm also very fascinated about it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Are we going to do, like, a special bathroom humor episode? Well, now we are. Can we get drunk when we do it? Yes. So, uh, you all have that to look forward to (laughs) eventually. (laughs) Um, we are gonna have too much wine. Yes. It'll be good. Uh, but I believe that is everything we've got. Yes, for this episode anyway. Yeah. Uh, so sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmare, everyone. Good night. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire. Copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at Graveyard Coffee Talk Pod or on Twitter at Talk Graveyard. Boy, friends,